0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Small Business Cheerleader Podcast. I'm Nicola for NW Marketing. And today I'm joined by Nina by Legally with Nina. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm good, I'm good. We're here today to talk about everything small business legals and what you need to do when starting up a small business, because a lot of these crucial steps get missed. And I've got you on today because you are the queen when it comes to small biz legals and I want to make sure that everyone has all of their ducks in a row and all of their boxes ticked. So we're going to be talking about the three main legals you need to tick off when starting a small biz, which includes things such as business structure, insurances and contracts. So let's find out more about you. Tell us how did you get into the world of legals and how did you get to be working with small businesses too?
1: Well that's a long story. I've basically wanted to be a lawyer since I was seven. So I just pursued that path um, pretty much since I could remember and then I um, I started working as a paralegal when I was fairly young, so about eight years ago now. And I gained a lot of really, really valuable experience because I had a medium-sized WA business uh, that I was working for, for the most part. And I was helping them out with their terms and conditions of supply because they were a supplier. And I was helping them out with their debt recovery. So I got like a really hands-on experience on both the contract side of things and also the legal disputes thing. and then moved through a graduate role and became a solicitor. And I moved on from that position to a medium law firm in WA where I started working with many more businesses. Um, and I was covering off franchise agreements, um, shopping leases, or actually all types of leases, um, business, sale business agreements, shareholder agreements helping people set up their business structures so a really really broad exposure again it broadened even further um, in terms of business ownership from inception to the very end where we're looking at business succession and who's going to be taking over the business you know you're selling it or and every step in between and then I went on to work at a very very big international law firm where I was working for insurers. I was still representing um, small to medium businesses in WA though um, because the way that it works with these insurances is that if provided you've got the insurance and something happens that's covered under the policy, they get lawyers to act for you on your behalf. So still continued working with small to medium businesses but some of the disputes were at a much larger scale and that gave me a real insight into the importance of different types of insurances and just how much protection it provides for business owners. And now I've kind of come back full circle and I want to work with small to medium businesses, predominantly in the online space, so that I can help them gain access to legals at a really affordable uh, price. Um, And to make sure that all their loose ends are tied up so that they're not exposing themselves in these fairly simple areas that could be covered off, um, you know, quite quickly and quite cost effectively.
0: Yeah, I love that because I know myself when uh, dealing with small businesses in the shopping center realm that I still work with now, there's a lot of them that don't have these simple things set up when they started their business and a lot of them have come back to bite them. And I think it's something that if you can, like I talk about small businesses getting their marketing foundation set up to help set them up for success. A section, um, obviously, accountants would work with them on making sure they know their figures to make them set up. And I, I think that you assume legals are something you do when you're bigger. You know, you have a lawyer when you're bigger. I'll do that when I'm bigger. I'll get terms and conditions done when I'm bigger. And then what happens is you get too busy and you just forget these things or they're costs that you don't think you need. But I know firsthand that having those um, protections in place are so worth it in making just peace of mind too because if you're putting your life into your business and I mean, as we've spoken about before, you're putting your assets in there as well. And it's a big thing people need to think about. And that's why this podcast is so important for those that are new in business, which I obviously we're talking to those in early stage, uh, first uh, one to say three or five years is, is where this podcast is aiming. So we want this to be talking about how to make sure you're covering and ticking off those spaces. And obviously from someone who's been there and knows what it looks like from the other side, not just... Me telling you to do it as a marketing person, you're talking to a lawyer who can tell you that it is important and it is not that hard to set up. It's just a matter yeah. of knowing you've got someone in your corner um, that can help you do it. So let's just to
1: start- add to that. Just to add to that, yeah, it's not. I'm, I'm a, I am a lawyer and I have worked predominantly with small businesses, but I am also a small business owner myself. And this is not the first time I've done it in a past life. I owned a cafe when I was quite young. And, you know, that was just really, really eye-opening. I was really thrown into small business ownership and this was a brick and mortar business as well. So the leases, the insurances, the taxes, the employees, the whole lot, you know, I've done it myself and I know how important it is not just as a lawyer but as a business owner myself. And, you know, I'm doing the same thing now as well. I've got a small law firm that I'm running and so... I have to do all of these things, you know. I'm not out here trying to teach people anything that I wouldn't actually do myself or that I haven't done myself.
0: No, that's 100%. And I think that that's more so why people are drawn to you because you are and have lived it and you know what those things look like because i think um, small business owners especially bricks and mortar it can be a minefield out there you know when you're talking and Absolutely. adding in staff, and you're adding in all the insurances for your actual bricks and mortar premises and and that's what i've dealt with with the shopping center retailers and how that looks and i know the struggles they go through and also trying to make sure that they've got all those boxes ticked because it can come back to you i've had um friends that own cafes and they've had that the, you know their um their staff come back to them for certain reasons when it comes to wages and super and that's a whole nother ball game um, mm-hmm. when it comes to making sure you're covered on that realm as well. Uh, so I think having a lawyer that understands or someone in that realm of legals that knows what it's like to be a small business owner, it can only benefit you because you know that you've got someone in your corner who understands. And I think that that's missing from a lot of small business owners when they start off. They think they have to go to these major law firms. It's going to cost them thousands and thousands and they're not going to understand it. And I that agree. also is what I come to with people with marketing. They get jargon overfill and they don't understand and they just put it off because they don't think that they understand it. So when you've got someone who's in your corner, who does it day to day and understands that um, you need it put in a certain perspective, then they can come to it from a place of understanding that they can do it uh, without having to too hard basket, put it aside. And that's when you have all these issues because you don't have the foundations in place. Marketing or legals, they're very similar as a structure. They're all structure based. So that's what we want to talk about firstly is business structure. So... You start a business because you're good at something. It doesn't mean that you know how to do everything. You know how to do what it is you're good at. So getting people in your corner to help you set up your structure is what is going to make the difference. So let's talk through a new person starting out, they've probably what? They've probably got an ABN and they've probably made a business name, logo, they're sort of starting. So what's the next step for business structure for them?
1: Oh, look. That is one of the most important decisions that you're going to make, um, learning about the different business structures that are available to you. And why it's important to do it when you're starting up is because even though you might be perfectly happy at, you know, at the early stages being the sole trader, you need to be able to pick up the cues when it's time to restructure. And you need to be able to implement other measures in order to protect yourself, your home, your car, you know, your toilet paper rolls, (laughs) the lot, you know, um, because when you go into business, there is inherent risk of being sued, you take on legal liabilities. And with certain structures, you are exposed, you're putting your personal assets on the line. So even before you go and get that ABN, it's really good to educate yourself on the different types of business structures that are available to small business owners. The ones that I tend to teach about in my I've got a program for uh, business startups so they can learn about these things, are a sole trader where you are operating your brand name. So it's you personally and you take on all of the liabilities. So if there is a dispute and somebody's going to sue you, it's going to be suing you personally. If a bill is issued, it's issued to you um, if, you know, if there is a supplier and you need to sign off on a contract, you personally sign off on that contract. There is nothing separating you from the business itself. Um, the other structure is a company. Now, a company is a little bit more expensive because it's got some registration fees and compliance things that you need to bear in mind. So you do need to really sort of have an understanding of what your budget is or what your foreshadowed budget is for the next year to make sure that you can cover these costs. Um, but a company does provide a barrier between you and your personal assets and your business risk. So a company can own its own property. It can sign off on its own contracts. At law, it's basically its own person. And so if you do set up a company, then it's the company running the business. It's not you personally. And you you just tell the company as a director, you tell the company what it does, what it should do in order to generate a profit. The company also holds all the insurances. And, you know, if there is an issue and you can't pay any debt, it's the company that goes into liquidation instead of the individual going bankrupt, depending on the circumstances. Um, And then the other structure that I teach about is partnerships. Because, you never know when in business you are going to have a situation pop up where you need to start working with someone else. And a partnership is not a great way to do it. So I teach about partnerships because it's the easiest structure to set up just like a sole trader. You know, you just go online, you pop in the names of everybody, you get your ABN and off you go. You've got a partnership registered. But there is so much risk one thing that people don't realize is that when you have a partner that you are working with they can make decisions on behalf of the partnership so they can make decisions on your behalf without telling you about it and making you legally liable for it that's a massive risk you don't you know i wouldn't want to do that with my mum. not with you know a business partner there's just too much risk you never know when things are going to go sour and with legals you generally are contingency planning you're planning for the worst and you want to make sure that you're not getting yourself in a situation that if you've had a tiff with a business partner about you know you taking too many profits or something like that but you feel that you haven't they just go and start making decisions on their own because there's a level of animosity so those are the key three structures that I teach about there are others but they are more geared towards wealth planning so they're like a family trust. They're the ones that that you'd want to start looking at when you want to plan your wealth, how it's going to be distributed to maximize all that money that you're making. A company does let you do that as well to a certain extent. Um, But there is a point where you want to look at restructuring. But those are the three core structures I tend to discuss with all of my clients that, you know, when they're starting up, this is what you really need to look at. And the other thing I just want to say is that a lot of people think that just because you can go on the Australian Australian Business Register website and register your business and your business name and your ABN does not necessarily mean that you don't have to get any legals. So that registration in itself is actually a legal step. You are actually taking on a legal responsibility when you choose what business structure you're going to do, whether it is sole trader and you're just paying $37 to register that business name and that ABN, or whether you're setting up a company or whether you're setting up a family trust. So just remember that when you're starting up your business, when you choose your business structure, that is a legal step in itself.
0: It's, it's just amazing because I know I've just been through this all last year and I know I've been a sole trader for many, many years. And then when I had to look at taking on a joint venture, yeah. I had to move into a company structure to then allow me to have shares. Yeah, and that's a whole nother level um, where you need to then um, be able to have a joint venture uh, document and allocate shares and wow, that is a whole nother level. So yes, that there are reasons to to go over to a company from a sole trader. yeah uh, and I also have a hybrid family trust and a lot of things that um, you can do for wealth planning, as you said, when you have children. Yeah how you can look at having uh, assets in, in, in hybrid trust for, for the kids. And yeah, it is, it is great to have somebody in your corner that can help you navigate that. And I think that that's why it's yeah. so important. All right, so when we're going from a business structure, I think you're right, people need to explore what that looks like for them. the trigger points for maybe when it's time to move from one to another, and then looking at uh, as the business grows, how that looks for wealth planning in regards to uh, yeah. company and trust and things. And if you've got someone in your corner that knows all about that, it's great to have a meeting and just really every year sort of reassess where your business is. That's what I find to really yeah. sort of start talking, talk with your accountant because they can help with when it comes to what, you know, your finances look like and where you can be Absolutely. looking setting up. That's what happened with me. My accountant said, I think it's time now. We need to investigate what it looks like to transfer over to a company because I had staff at that stage. It was getting bigger and bigger and the liability was getting bigger and bigger. So that's the point because people forget when you're a sole trader, you can still employ staff. But that liability is all on you. So I had a credit card, a business credit card, but that credit card, that liability was mine. So if for any chance, which you never hope happens, um, somebody decides to use that business credit card for their own personal reasoning or something silly, that is your responsibility. And I found that that sort of stuff, we really need to to be educated on how to look after and protect our assets. So I think that's so important. And the next thing is um, insurance. Now, what does that look like from your working with small businesses? What does insurance look like? Um, for, you know, what types of insurances should people be looking out for?
1: Yeah. So, insurance, I think that there is a really big misconception around insurance, like a real misunderstanding of what its purpose is. And I understand why. I mean, TVs condition us, but insurance companies are these big Goliaths that are, you know, just trying to take your money and will never pay you out. But I mentioned earlier, right? So, I used to work for a big international company where I, worked with insurance companies and I worked across maybe between 30 to 40 files. And I think that we rejected one claim off the top of my head. So to put that into perspective, okay, first myth buster, insurance companies, at least in Australia, they have a full process that they have to go through before they can actually approve or reject a claim under the insurance. In professional indemnity insurance, which is insurance that you get for that that's supposed to cover you for any claims which are made because of an error that you make when you are providing your services. For that, that—that that is the specific area that I worked in. It's called professional indemnity. I know that every single time somebody would submit a claim, the claims manager would collect all the documents for us and send it straight to the lawyers that are in the city where you're at. And we would go through the entire policy We would go through all of the documents that the insured, the person who has the insurance sent through. We would go through all their documents. We'd get in touch with them. We'd seek more details. And once we have a pretty good picture of what's actually happened, we would go back to the insurance company and say, yeah, this is covered under this clause of the policy or actually it's not covered anywhere. And even in those situations where we have said, look, this, this just isn't falling under this policy. It's just way out of, you know, way out of realm. It's it's not even encompassed anywhere in this document. We have usually been scheduled to speak with one or two people from the insurance company who are saying, well, why? Why isn't it covered under this clause? Can we, have we tried to get it covered under this clause? Can we get it cu- covered under this clause? That's, that was my experience when I was representing insurers and small businesses. And because of this, because people don't have, Uh, I guess, firsthand experience of these processes, they are hesitant to go and get insurance. It's always, do I really need it? I'm not really making a lot of money. I'm not really doing big business. You know, I'm not working with high net value clients. Oh, but I'm just setting, you know, selling bottles. What's the worst that can happen? I'll look into that a little bit later. But you need insurance from the outset and you need insurance from the outset because it is a barrier between you And anything that goes wrong in your business, provided that that particular event that you've got insurance for it. So if you are a service provider and you are a sole trader and you provide a service and one of your clients says, you didn't do this properly and now this has cost me thousands of dollars. Firstly, because of the sole trader structure, you are personally responsible. So when they start a claim against you or a dispute, it's going to be against you personally. If you have insurance and you've got insurance for this particular event, then you notify your insurers. You say, look, this client's going to sue me because I've made an error when I was providing my services. They go get their lawyers. The lawyers give you a call and they step in. The insurance company steps in and they step in by paying out any amounts that should be paid to your client because of the error that you made. Your legal costs are covered and legal costs for very very simple things can go into the tens of thousands of dollars. So what a massive save! Just you know, in paying out that yearly premium, to have if anything goes wrong, it'll probably it'll probably come back to you a thousand percent worth in terms of coverage. You know, just one dispute, tens of thousands of dollars of legal fees. But it might take you ten years in business paying you know four hundred dollar premiums a year for um for you to Get up, get into that situation. So you've been paying these small increments uh, for after ten years, the insurance company to pay back two thousand percent of your yearly investment. Yeah, so- that's, that's exactly right.
0: Uh, yeah, that's right. It, when it comes to insurances, um, I think the main things people don't understand is what public liability covers and what mm. professional indemnity covers. And business insurance itself, you know, because you see online people yeah. are like, oh, you need business insurance, you know, in case you have a bricks and mortar store that gets broken into or they steal your tools or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, um, I work in shopping centers. So everybody, whoever comes into my shopping center needs to have that public liability cover. 20 million is the, the, the thing that um, most people have to have to be able to come in and do anything in a shopping center. And then there's professional indemnity, which is when you say something, um, I have to have that in case I say something on behalf of my shopping centre clients that gets them sued. And then they come after me. So they're the three I find. What do you find are the main differences
1: to explain to people between them? Okay, so firstly, the two insurances that I would suggest to all business owners when they start out is professional indemnity and products, depending on whether you are a service provider or you're selling physical products. So you really need to look at getting those in place before you have even made any contact with a customer or a client. Absolutely critical. Get that in place before you start talking to people. And you know what? You incur a liability even if you're doing things for free. So just because you are doing, say, a coaching or mentoring, you know, three, three free sessions to hopefully get this client to convert to a paying client, you still attract legal liability. And so you need to have insurance that is going to cover you for whatever you say to that person in in those sessions. And equally the same with products, if you're selling products. Even if you're giving these mugs for free to your best friend to test out, you know, how, how nice is the ink on this new mug that I've got with affirmations on it? What happens if it's really bad quality China and it breaks in their mouth as they're drinking it? It doesn't matter if it's free. You have you are a business now and you have given that product and you need to make sure that you are covered for that before you start giving it out to people for free or for paid. So that's, that's one thing. Public liability insurance is to protect third parties who are coming onto your premises, into your business. That's the simplest way I could describe that. So, And it's particularly important for brick and mortar, so like physical stores um, and physical premises, Um, And it's also really, really important to bear in mind when you are attending events all the time. So if you are, if you have stalls and all of that stuff, you need to speak with your broker to see if this is something that you can get coverage for. Because sometimes you can't get it, but wherever you're going to, so if you're, if there is an organiser, if there is, you know, city of Rockingham that's actually organising this event, then you may need to ask them, well, hang on, what is the public liability set up for this? Because I'm placing one of my stalls at one of your premises. My insurance company is not going to cover me for this. So who is? You know, what's going to happen if somebody walks in and they trip on my table tablecloth and they break all their front teeth? You know, you need to check it out and you have full rights to go to whoever the event organizer is and ask them about public liability arrangements to make sure that you're not exposing yourself to a $20 million claim because somebody's just broken their nose or their teeth on your tablecloth.
0: Yeah, it's just I know that um, being in shopping centres for 23 years, it's just (laughs) my head is just filled with public liability, public liability, because the amount (laughs) of people that slip on a grape in the supermarket or, you know, can trip on anything. So it's just drilled into me so hard that anybody that comes in for any reason needs $20 million public liability. So but when it comes to being a coach or an online person, obviously, you'd be more looking at professional indemnity because of what the nature of that is but yes. if by chance you happen to be running events or you are a coach but you're doing an in-person event uh where people are coming and you're providing that as a um, a workshop as such that becomes yes. uh, a public liability and that's a public liability so yes that's where it needs to be if it's anything in person anything where someone can hurt themselves on anything you do physically yeah that's when it pays to be covered but I mean this all seems like such a lot of money when you're starting out but when you look at it like you just said if somebody's going to sue you and your it's it's your it's your actual assets are coming
1: after so you know how would you not want to protect that and I am a big big um, supporter of getting insurance when you're in business. In fact, I regularly hold seminars on insurance and why it's important and the different types of insurances I recommend for business owners. And I always have to qualify myself. I have to say, by the way, I'm not working with any insurance company. I'm not getting any money for this. I just genuinely believe that you need to have insurance in order to protect yourself. Yeah, it's because just, you've seen
0: the other side
1: because yeah. people think, oh, well, that never happens. I don't know
0: anyone that's ever happened to. And when yeah. you have worked and you have seen it happen, you know, you that's why you're so passionate about it because you have seen it happen to real people who have
1: exactly. real businesses. Exactly. I'll give you an example. I was representing a small, relatively small business in WA that was working on some really high net value projects, but they were just there. The bottom man, they were just signing off on some documents, you know, checking some measurements and certifying that they were absolutely accurate. And then this went on to much, much bigger, you know, multi million dollar companies and then to the multi billion dollar companies. And these things were supposed to be built. And this little guy at the bottom signed off, had an employee who signed off on something that was wrong. And all of a sudden, we have this Goliath multi billion dollar company suing this little man with a small office, you know, um, running, running operations here in Perth for millions of dollars. And it all came. So they didn't even go and build these things. They just looked at the measurements and said, yeah, okay, this looks kind of right. Stamped it, signed it off. Somebody else went and built the things. And the big company, it was, it was on one of their sites. And that single error, so that... It was, you know, it was a mis-measurement. Mis- they missed several measurements. Bit them in the bud, and they got sued. And do you know what happened? They had professional indemnity insurance. They were covered for errors um, in the provision of their services. And they just reported it to their insurer. They had to pay their access. And the insurance company took over and paid out millions. You know, paid out millions for this, yeah. what seemed to be a relatively very, you know, very minor Issue, but blew up and became one of the bigger scheme things where if they didn't have the insurance, they, they would have gone under. They would have had to shut shop. They wouldn't have been able to pay anything.
0: Yeah, and that's what we do it for. And I think that the professional indemnity is one that a lot of people don't know about, I feel. That's the yeah. sense I get. And I think that if anyone can take anything away from these legals to tick off it's that because I I feel that that's the one that gets missed the most and it's the most Mm -hmm. important I know even um, being in shopping centers we have um, ourselves we organize a lot of events that run at the shopping centers Mm -hmm. and um, we always make sure that anyone who comes on has a public um, liability but we had um, people that slipped on something at one of the events And then, of course, you know, the insurers come in um, for the shopping centre and start working. But then, you know, you've got to realise that that might be a case. But then the insurers can also look for was there anyone else at fault, you know, who organised it, who did it. So you've also got to be really careful on on that sense. And then we also had a a thing that we did for one event where the person who was providing the entertainment for us went under and we'd already paid them and at the the shopping center had already paid them and then these people didn't provide the service so then when they did an audit a year later the auditors and came back and said well you being us provided you know that that entertainment and they were like well you now need to pay for that so that's where we went back and forward it could have come to a professional indemnity I did have backup in case they came after me saying, well, you provided that entertainment, although we didn't, it was paid for through the shopping centre and it was a back and forward. But then that was also a thing of where does it say in any contract that that was the arrangement? So see how you've got to, you know, where is the arrangement? I am a middle person between the shopping centre and the entertainers, where do I stand? If the entertainers I organise don't do what they're saying, although the shopping centre is paying them, the shopping center want their money so they'll come after you and it, it's yeah it's just a minefield so terms and conditions which we're going to get to in a second are imperative when you're working in this thing where do you stand where do you not where does it happen if these things happen because they will happen and you need to know that you know you are crystal clear so Insurance important, obviously. So final in the top three is contracts. Now, you work with a lot of online businesses now and this is the the sort of realm that's growing, isn't it? So it's like, Absolutely. okay, how do you cover yourself now? People are like, oh, I've only got a couple of clients. I just, you know, back and forward or whatever, but it grows and you forget. So lead in with this one. How do you find, I know you have contract templates um, that you have for small businesses to help set them up these things. So explain why contracts are so important.
1: Contracts are kind of like, insurance but they don't act like a barrier between you and whatever could go wrong what they do is they set up the framework in which you're going to be operating so there are certain laws that you can't exclude in australia even if under contract and there's basically no way that you can do it and one of those is the australian consumer law but you can manage your liability so you can restrict what the other side can sue you for you can set out What's going to happen if there is a dispute? You can prevent somebody from just going off and suing you and causing that relationship to completely break down before, you know, before it gets to the point of no return. Um, you set out the framework within which your payment's supposed to be received. Uh, you set out what your rights are when you've got a flaky client, you know, a client that never turns up to any of your calls or a client that keep saying, I'm going to be ordering 500 of this product from you, but they never actually do. They never come through with a payment. What do you do in that situation? So contracts are really important to set out how this relationship is going to be working, on what terms and conditions, what are your rights, what are the client's rights, what are your responsibilities, what are the client's responsibilities, and then managing your liability. So that's the core Three functions that you're looking at with a contract manage and managing liabilities is probably the most important one. You want to, to the fullest extent that you can, alleviate any responsibility that you're taking on. And I'll give you an example with that. Um, if you are a, say, a bookkeeper, and you are, obvi- you're obviously working with clients that need to provide you with information in order for you to do your job. And say you've got a client that tells you, I need this done by Monday. And you tell them, well, I need all the information. And they don't get the information to you. But your contract says you've still got to get it done by Monday. So what you do in that instance is you have a contract which actually says, I'm going to get this to you by Monday. But this is contingent on the following. You have to give me the information. You have to give me the information a week in advance. The information has to be full and proper. You have to be available two days before the Monday so that I can go through any questions I have with you. You know, you you set all of these kind of warranties and acknowledgements and you get the client to say, yep, yeah, I, okay, I understand this. Yeah, I understand. You'll get it done by Monday, but I've got to do one, two, three, four, five. And if I don't do one, two, three, four, five, I fully accept that it is my fault that you haven't been able to deliver by Monday. So you're managing your liabilities.
0: Yeah. Dispute
1: resolution clause, which is what I just mentioned earlier about, you put on restrictions for somebody Um, exercising their rights under the agreement and exercising a right is basically forcing you to do your bit under the contract so if you've got a dispute with a client quite often you might think you might be thinking no I did everything that you you required me to do and the client might be saying no this is not what I asked for so before it gets to the stage of you're saying well I've done it and they're saying no that's not what I asked for I'm going to sue you because now I've, you know, I've got a responsibility to someone else that I won't be able to fulfill and they're going to sue me. You have a dispute resolution clause in there, which says, if you've got an issue with me, you need to send me a notice. I need to respond to that notice. And then we need to have a meeting just the two of us to sit down and actually try and resolve this before anybody goes to any, you know, to a lawyer before they go to um, starting proceedings before the situation escalates to the point of no return. So That's that's all the things that you want to look at when you're in a contract and it helps you manage your exposure. It helps you manage your liability. It helps you um, de-escalate difficult situations with clients, with business acquaintances, with business partners, with suppliers. De-escalate that situation so that it's not getting into the whole legal realm where you need to get lawyers and you need to start paying out money to defend a claim or to even pursue a claim. Yeah,
0: it's exactly right. I know that we had this issue because I have contracts, obviously, with with my retail clients, and when COVID hit, a lot of them had to take their their marketing work in house because they they didn't have obviously the resources to keep it going. But we had to make sure that the contracts, you know, were at least thirty days notice, um, et cetera, et cetera, so that they knew where they stood. And also, um, when it comes to non payment, it's good to have when it comes to terms and conditions. Um, I know that uh, I had a lawyer help me put together terms and conditions. So non-payment, you know, uh, will incur a 10%, um, you know, admin fee after a certain amount of time. And if not payments not made by this, then I reserve the right to stop any services until such payment is made, et cetera, et cetera. So they're, they're signing that at the beginning noting that those are the conditions of the agreement. So should they not pay, you have a right then in writing, don't you, to not uh, provide that service because that is a condition that you have come to. Um, I find that terms and conditions uh, people need to be made aware of. And when coaches, I noticed uh, uh, quite a few coaches, because that's exactly right, if people don't show up to their calls, they can't then have two calls the next week. Mm-hmm. And that is normally something a lot of coaches have in their things. If you don't use your weekly call, it can't accrue into next week. You can't then say, well, I had 12 calls. Well, no, the agreement was X, Y, Z. And it, once it's set up front or, you know, you can't contact me, you know, on weekends and et cetera, if it's all set up front, it creates um, a client-customer relationship that's a lot more clear, concise and less murky, isn't it?
1: Yes. Yeah, it's definitely, it goes towards client management. So expectation management, not just clients, actually, business acquaintances, business partners as well. Just everybody being on the complete same understanding of how this is going to proceed. And just in terms of the, um, I suppose, the rescheduling and the termination clauses, I actually used to do coaching myself, health coaching. And I know that I drafted a very, very strict Um, refunds and rescheduling clause because it was twofold. And I was more that, you know, it's really important to engage with your clients and business partners on why you have certain things in your contract. It was because, firstly, when you're a health coach, you need somebody to commit. You need somebody to commit to that one hour a week to themselves so that they can actually work through whatever it is that they need to work through consistently and build on practices that they're implementing. So that was the first thing. The second thing was... My time is also valuable. So I'm, you know, I could be doing something else with another client in this one hour that I've set aside from you for you every single week for the next 12 weeks. And so you can choose to have really strict, you can be really flexible. And even if you have a real if you have really strict causes in your contracts, you can always choose later to accommodate your client or your business partner or whoever you're working with, your contractor. You can always choose to accommodate them. You know, you can always say, look. My clause X says that you, you have to reschedule this a week in advance. But in this instance, I'm going to accommodate you. I just want you to know for future reference, you can't do this anymore, you know. So you, you can be accommodating. It's it's not like it's a black and white just because it's in the contract. You can't go against that. That's not it at all. You just need to manage those situations well. But at least if it's in there and you're kind of getting a, you know flaky clients or flaky customers and you're like, well, you know, this is the third time that I've done this order for this client and they pulled out for me in the last minute well no you just go in and say look these are the terms and conditions under which we're operating you signed off to, on you know on this date clause three says xyz in the future if payment is not received we're not going to be delivering full stop yeah
0: and then you've got it written down it's in black and white and it just as you said it just de-escalates the situation and stops them from doing that first thing of, well, I want compensation because they haven't lived up to their part of what was the agreement that you had. And, And I think as long as both parties are made aware at the beginning, well then you know that you can come back with a copy of that and say this was our agreement yes or no yes it was so you've got that because i know that otherwise it can get really murky people can say well i expected this and i wanted this and and i think some of those contracts about the results as well making sure that you know people are aware this is a two-way street and it needs Mm -hmm. both parties to be um you know and that results obviously you know you don't want it to be that one that's on the bottom of the commercials you know results may vary checks will not be on it You, you don't want it to sound like that but you want to make sure that you know, you're both aware you're going into this uh, in good faith. And I think that yeah. that's really important. And um, it, that can be for, as I say, anyone, whether you're an online coach or you're, or you're consulting in particular, uh, just maybe making sure that should a situation arise in the future, that you have something in there covering you and also making it clear,
1: this is what we decided remember. And they're Oh yeah. Okay. I get it. Yeah. And I recommend five contracts for anybody starting up. So depending on whether you're a product provider or you are a service provider, you need to have a client agreement. If you're a service provider, so you need to have a one-on-one client agreement and a group, group services agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a product provider, you need to have product terms and conditions. Everyone needs to have website terms of use. Everyone should have a privacy policy and everyone should have disclaimers. Um, and the disclaimers should be tailored to every individual product or every individual service. Um, But when you've got those client agreements, um, one thing that you should, well, actually two things that you should always look at is properly scoping out what work is going to be done, making sure that that is in writing and any additions or changes to what services you're gonna be providing are in writing as well. Um, And then payments, obviously, Your, your terms of payment need to be really, really clear. Um, everything in a contract is important. The template agreements that I've got online, I think, are about 14 pages long. So they're not, you know, they're not two pages. They, they are quite comprehensive documents, and every single clause that I put into those contracts is important, no matter how long or short they are. But if you're looking globally at, you know, things that you want to focus on, that you should devote your attention to. It should be, well, what products or services am I actually providing? And then also, how are we going to procure payment for this? How are we going to make sure that we get paid for this? Yeah, that's exactly right. I think, as we said, like these,
0: I would definitely put down as the top three things we've talked about in this podcast for when you're starting out. And you're making sure you've got these things done from the day dot because it'll allow you to grow and scale easier because you would have already yep. put these processes in place. I think it's a lot harder five years down the track to start implementing this stuff because you'll be busy. You'll, you'll be putting it off even more and you'll, you'll just, you'll get overwhelmed. So I think if you can find um, someone like yourself at the beginning who can run you through, this is what you need. Let's get you set up in your business structure that suits you. Let's get your insurances where they need to. Be and your contracts and your terms and conditions, your client agreements. And you, as I said, you've got these set up as templates that people can download from your website as well, which I'll put the links in the um, podcast notes because it's really important to know that it doesn't have to be overwhelming you you that's have right. got these structures because it is something that you work with a lot. So you know what to put in these to make sure that they are they are set up in a way that's for startups in particular that they can get this done now without having to spend all of this time and brain power trying to work it out themselves. And I think people try and copy other people's ones and that doesn't work either. When you've got a, a no. template, you need to make sure that it's a template that's from somebody like yourself. Or you've worked with a lawyer to create it. Don't just cut and paste somebody else's and try and turn it into your own. You're just asking for drama, and it will just never turn out as you want it to. And then um, when it comes to once you've had these, the next step I usually find for people is you know protecting your intellectual property if that becomes a thing for you, and then looking at staff and all of your contracts for staffing and things along those lines. The the more zeros you get in your business, the more zeros you get in your lawyers when it comes to contracts. I know I had to do a whole lot of employee stuff and HR stuff when it came to getting staff and making sure contracts were legit. So, you know, it's it's a never ending thing, but it doesn't have to be overwhelming. It just needs to be done in steps. And I think what we've talked about today is the starting place and the best place to um, kick off your business the right way. And I I just think that that's so important, which is why I wanted to get you on, because I find so many businesses that don't have this in place. And it just scares me because I know that it is rare, but it does happen. And to think that your family assets are up on the line, I just don't ever want that for anyone. So life is hard enough. Don't make it harder. Absolutely. For that's that's the, the final thing I can say is, you know, there's so many curveballs already. Don't make this another one that's going to come at you years down the track. You don't want that. Um, so what would the final thing be? So after talking all about this and from your experience, both sides of the fence as a small business owner yourself and also as somebody who's worked in the insurances, you know, helping people through this, what would you, what would you say final recommendations?
1: Well, get your business structure right. You know, look into, actually look into what you are going to be registering and why you're registering it because your business structure will manage your liability and it will have a direct impact on how much income you get to keep from your business. So that's the two two key things that you need to look at when you are picking a business structure and get some advice on it as well. Um, it's a low cost to do a one-hour strategy session with an accountant um, or a lawyer or both um, to sort out what would be most suitable to you. Um, Insurances, get your professional indemnity and get your products liability insurance in place. If you are operating remotely, if you're operating in person, you need it still. So you still need it. That that goes without saying. If you are um, seeing people face to face or doing physical things, you know, attending events and you've got your own space, get public liability insurance. There are some other insurances that you need which are mandatory. For example, if you've got employees, you need to have workers' compensation insurance. That goes without saying. So make sure that you've got these things in place. If you are operating predominantly online, consider whether you need to get cyber insurance. You know, your, your whole business is on a laptop. Do you need to protect yourself from, you know, what, what happens when something goes wrong with your laptop? What happens when you get malware or spyware or if you get hijacked? You know, go, speak with brokers. They are really, really well, well informed on this and they can help you out with it. Um, and get multiple quotes as well. You know, don't go to one broker. Get multiple quotes. I, When I was a coach, I had insurance quoted to me for 1200 2000 and then $240. That is a massive change. And it was just because I was getting quotes from brokers who weren't necessarily working in this space. They were still able to get me the insurance, but it's just that they didn't have the relationship, but the other broker did who literally does this for a whole industry. So get some insurance in place to protect yourself. And lastly, with your contracts, it's it's the five that I mentioned earlier, your one-on-one client agreements, your group client agreements, your website terms of use, your privacy policy, your disclaimers. And obviously, if you're selling products, substitute, that, substitute the client agreements with your products um, terms and conditions so that you are limiting your liability you're limiting you know if you've got any exposure under the law you can sometimes completely cut it out so that it no longer applies or you can reduce it so instead of having to pay somebody for all of their lost income because the product weren't delivered on time you limit your liability to just replacement value or to a refund or something like that and also to um, manage how you're going to get your payments you know to to make sure that you've actually got a framework, particularly if it's an ongoing relationship. Well, what? how are we going to do this? Is this going to be 30 days to pay? Is it going to be four days to pay? Is it going to be 60 days? Because you've been paying your accounts all up to date and you're doing massive orders. Get, get all, all of that stuff in place and then start serving other people.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Because as soon as you start without all that, it's going to be twice as hard um, getting it all in place because you will be in your business instead of on it. And it will be 10 times harder to try and get this stuff going. Take that from experience. Um, I got most of my stuff done, but there's always something else.
1: Yep. Sorry, what was that? um, I was just going to say, and one thing to remember with legals is that it may be an upfront cost at that time, but it's not an ongoing cost, you know? So we're not Harvey Specter and Mike from suits, you know, you're not going to be paying your lawyer $10,000 per month, It's not the way it works. You'll pay for your contracts. You'll pay for that advice for setting up your structure. And you don't don't need to look at it until you feel growth pains, you know, until you're kind of like, I'm actually adding a whole new stream of products that I'm going to be selling. Maybe I need to go and get this checked out. Or, okay, I'm going from group coaching services in, you know, business coaching. Now I'm going to be doing mindset coaching. Go get some advice at that stage. You know, this is not ongoing recurring high costs. It is usually an upfront payment, which you might even be able to arrange with your solicitor to pay off over a certain period of time. Or, you know, it, it doesn't go to doesn't immediately mean that you're going to have to pay out thousands. It might be that you do it in increments. But once it's set up, it's going to stay there for a good couple of years. Unless you start spanning off into new new things, then you need to have that looked at as well. But your contract will last you, you know, your, your contract is something that you can just use again and again. So Just bear that in mind, um, that it isn't isn't going to be a forever cost.
0: (laughs) No, it's an investment, isn't it, really? It's an investment in your business. I mean, people are willing to invest in coaches, invest in Facebook ads, invest in everything. This is a proper investment in your safety of your business. I mean, what is more important than the actual safety of your business? So look at it as an investment, not a cost, because it is something, as you say, it'll last. So it's something that will last you at least years as opposed to something like, you say, a monthly recurring thing. This is a year thing that will allow you to grow your business. And I think that that's so important. Now, I want people to be able to find you, to find these templates to get this overwhelm off their head, where can they find it more about you and these templates and your services, um, hit us up. Where can they find you?
1: Um, legally with Nina on Instagram. That is where I spend most of my time, where you'll find the most useful free tips and legal hacks that I put up. Um, I also do mini trainings all the time on my stories. So Legally with Nina, that's my Instagram handle. Um, my template agreements. I'm still building up my template suite, uh, but you can find it at legallywithnina.com. And if you go to the Instagram page, you can just hit the link on there as well to make things a little bit simpler for you. Yeah. Um, and finally, I do have a group program that I do every um, quarter, and it actually covers off the exact same things that we were just discussing, Nicola. You know, starting, picking your business structure, protecting your assets selling legally, um, dispute resolution, and what to do when you start scaling your business. So yeah you love the employment and the contractors?
0: Yeah, and I think that's so important because these are the things we don't know. And so that's why I love that when I saw that on yours because I think that that matches so beautifully with people trying to get set up to have all that info just there and to be able to work through it and know that you're doing it step-by-step. Step. I mean, that I haven't seen yeah. that anywhere else and I love that. So I, I want everyone to go and check that out because I think that the more you can get on top of this, the, the more you can scale your business the right way. And that's what I want people to do. And that's why I do it with my group coaching as well in regards to the marketing foundations, set it up properly, do the work now yep. And it'll pay off in the future. So if you can, you know, get these foundations of your legals, your marketing right now, it will only set you up for later. So um, I think it's so important to, to really get people in your back corner to make sure that you're being supported in this, yeah. and not just left to Google shit. Because you know we all know what that means that you get paralysis by analysis because you've got so many things in your head and you do none of it, and you yeah. write ten thousand notes and ten thousand notebooks and you never, never do anything with them. So both yeah. you and I just want people to take action, inspire action from the right advice. And I, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much. I mean, this has just been amazing because I really wanted to get you on because this is so important. So I, I love that we people can listen to this in their own time and really start to think about what it looks like for their business and, um, and then start to look at your Insta, see what they can do with it, and um, and then hopefully get the information that they're searching for. So thank you very, very much. And um, I will be following you online, of course, because you always need advice. And I think it's great to know that there's somebody out there who's sharing real advice for real business owners. And I think that that was missing. So I'm so glad you are. And uh, have a wonderful day and I will talk to you soon.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. No it's just absolutely fantastic. Um and I love chatting with you about all this stuff. So awesome. I mean I could chat for hours
0: about this as well. I I just I just get so passionate. I just want people to understand how important it is and I love that you do it in a way that will allow them to do that. So thank you very much. And go follow Nina online. Okay. See you.